Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Lombardi Memories, a show that takes you back in time, into January or February, to the greatest one-day spectacle in all sports. This is the Every Other Tuesday podcast that looks back at each and every one of the 50-plus Super Bowls and tells the story of who won and why. For the fan who needs more than a box score, this podcast goes drive-by-drive, play-by-play for the most dramatic games in history. I'm your host, Tommy A. Phillips, and you can visit my website at TommyAPhillips.com where you can find all of my books. The, those include Great 80s, a book that covers this Super Bowl and the next seven of them as well. Today we have Super Bowl 17, which was held on January 30th, 1983 at the Rose Bowl between the AFC champion Miami Dolphins and the NFC champion, Washington Redskins. If you're looking for the full story of this 1982 season, pick up my Great 80s book, and you will learn more than you ever wanted to know about that game, or that year, and the rest of the 80s. As always, we have a pop quiz, and then homework at the end of the episode. The pop quiz question for today is, how many teams have won the Super Bowl and finish the season with just one loss? The answer will come at the end of the podcast. 1982 is remembered for one thing, the strike. The players went on strike after the second game of the season, and seven games ended up being canceled, seven for each team, that is. Everyone just played nine games. That was it. In fact, the Packers and Bears didn't even play that year, which means that uh, the Packers-Bears rivalry is maybe the oldest, but it's not the longest-running rivalry because they didn't play this season. So if you want to get into the reasons behind this strike, well, it's far too complicated for this podcast, but suffice it to say, this is not your ordinary NFL season. Now, I also want to say it, it is not the season where replacement players are used. That was 1987, uh, five years from here. Washington Redskins went 8-1 and finished first in the NFC. This year, there were no divisions. The top eight in each conference made it to the playoffs regardless of where they played. Head coach Joe Gibbs and the Redskins lost only one game 
to the Dallas Cowboys 24 to 10 at midseason. And um, that was actually scheduled to be later in the season, but ended up being in the middle of the season. The Redskins gave up more than 17 points just twice the entire year. One of them was in that loss to Dallas, and the other time was in a 37-34 overtime win over Philadelphia to start the season. Otherwise, they were completely dominant all year long. They rolled past Detroit 31-7, Minnesota 21-7, and their hated rivals Dallas 31-17 to reach Super Bowl 17. Quarterback Joe Theismann had a brilliant year, passing for over 2,000 yards in only nine games. He threw for 13 touchdowns and nine interceptions. Running back John Riggins, the diesel, rushed for 553 yards and three touchdowns. Now that wasn't so impressive, but what was impressive was his playoff performance where he rushed for 100, over 100 yards in all three NFC playoff games. Catching the ball was the fun buttons. These receivers had a patented celebration where they all jumped into the air together and gave high fives. They were led by Art Monk, who had 35 for catches for 447 yards, Charlie Brown, who had 32 catches for 690 yards, and he had eight. Charlie Brown had eight of the team's 13 touchdowns. He was the only player on the team to catch more than one touchdown pass in the 1982 regular season. Now, Art Monk was injured and wouldn't get to play a star role in the Super Bowl. On defense, you have players such as defensive end Dexter Manley and defensive lineman Tony McGee, who each had six and a half sacks. Defensive backs Vernon Dean and Jarris White led the team with three interceptions each. But the star player of the Redskins was their kicker, Mark Mosley. Really. Because he was actually named NFL MVP. Why is that? Well, he made 20 of his 21 field goal attempts and 16 of 19 extra point attempts. Yeah, that... That doesn't really sound like an MVP there, but he was actually named NFL MVP by the Associated Press. So the only kicker to ever be uh, MVP, Mark Mosley, and then he had an up-and-down postseason on the way to the Super Bowl, making his selection as MVP to be rather suspect. Miami Dolphins had a similarly easy season like the Redskins. Led by head coach Don Sula, they won seven of nine games to finish second in the AFC. Amongst these games was the infamous snowplow game in New England. The game was scoreless in the fourth quarter until a, a guy drove a snowplow out in order to clear out a spot for the game-winning New England kick. If you want to learn more about this game, please pick up my book, Grade 80s, at grade80s.com, and you can find the whole story of this game. Dolphins got revenge against the Patriots in the first round of the playoffs, beating them 28-13. They then crushed the Chargers 
34-13 and got past the Jets 14-0 in the mud, the Mud Bowl, in the AFC Championship game. Like the Redskins, all three playoff games were at home, even though Miami was only the number two seed. The Jets knocked out the number one Raiders for Miami. Miami didn't have much of a passing game. They were led by quarterbacks David Woodley and Don Strock, who between them combined for just under 1,400 yards and only seven touchdowns, as opposed to 13 interceptions. Miami was a run-first team, counting on running back Andre Franklin to rush for 701 yards and seven touchdowns. No player on the Miami roster had even 25 catches in 1982, including receiver Jimmy Seppolo, who was one of their uh, main receivers. The strength of the Dolphins was in their defense, the Killer Bees, as they were called, since so many of their players' names started with, with the letter B. These included defensive backs Glenn Blackwood and Lyle Blackwood, linebacker Bob Brzezinski, can't pronounce it, sorry, defensive ends Doug Betters and Kim Bocamper, and defensive tackle Bob Baumheyer. Altogether, these killer B players combined for 18.5 sacks and six interceptions, and that's not even including the guys who didn't have B as their name, such as uh, defensive back Don McNeil, who had four interceptions to lead the team. It was Washington's high-powered offense against Miami's stout defense at the Rose Bowl. Now, this game started out with a bit of confusion. Miami called tails, and it came up tails, but referee Jerry Markbright thought it came up heads. After some discussion, the Dolphins won the toss and got the receipt. They started the game with a three and out, with Woodley's first pass nearly getting picked off by defensive back Mark Murphy. The Redskins got the ball back at their own 28 after the punt. Riggins ran it three times in a row, and he got a first down. Then Feisman threw a screen to Charlie Brown, who picked up 12 yards on the left side of the field. But then the Dolphins managed to get off the field because linebacker Ernest Roan uh, sacked Feisman, and the Redskins had to punt it away, and they kicked it for a touchback. Running back Tony Nathan started out the new Miami drive with a four-yard run. Woodley then looked down the sideline, the right sideline, for a wide-open Jimmy Cephalo. We were talking about him. He was one of their main receiving targets. And there's a mix-up in the Washington secondary. Cephalo ends up going all the way for a 76-yard touchdown, the second-longest pass in Super Bowl history at the time, behind only Jim Plunkett to Kenny King in Super Bowl 15. Kicker Uvon Salmon kicked the extra point, and Miami led 7-0. Miami went, or excuse me, Washington then went three and out. Miami got the ball back at 37. Nathan ran for 13 yards, and Franklin ran, pounded it twice ahead uh, for another first down into Washington territory. But that's when Manley burst in, knocked the ball out from Woodley, and defensive, end, or defensive tackle 
they but recovered it for the Redskins. The Redskins then tried a flea flicker, but Fison threw incomplete on the play, trying that trick play. But they did end up getting in field goal range after that. Running back Clarence Harmon ran for a seven-yard game. Feisman hit tight end Don Warren for a first down at the Miami 35. And then Riggins ran for another seven yards. But he got stopped on third down. So uh, the Redskins settled for a 31-yard field goal by the league MVP, Mark Mosley. And that started off the second quarter with Miami ahead 7-3. Miami defensive back Fulton Walker returned the ensuing kickoff 42 yards. Nathan took a couple carries, one for eight yards and one up the middle for a first down. Woodley then completed to receiver Duriel Harris for another eight yards. After Franklin picked up the first down, Woodley found Cephalo again for about six yards. Another pass to Harris got the Dolphins inside the red zone. Franklin picked up a first down at the eight a few plays later, but the Miami drive died inside the five. Juan Salmon came on and kicked a 21-yard field goal to push the Dolphins' advantage to 10-3. Feisman started the next Redskin drive out with a 25-yard pass to tight end Rick Walker. Riggins ran for the next first down before hauling in a pass for about 14 yards. He then looked like he was going to pass on his next play, but he chose not to run or not to throw and ran it for no gain. Beisman scrambled, though, to get the Redskins a first down. He got them down to the 13. Riggins ran it a couple more times, got it to the 5, whereupon Beisman hit receiver Alvin Garrett in the right end of the end zone, right side of the end zone. Touchdown, Washington Redskins. Mosley's kick tied it at 10. However, the tie score would be extremely short-lived. Holden Walker caught the ensuing kickoff at his own two, cut over across the field to the left sideline, sprinted down that left sideline 98 yards for a touchdown, and Miami goes back in front. Vaughn Salmon gets the extra point. Miami goes in back in front by seven. At the time, it was the longest kickoff return in Super Bowl history. The Redskins needed to get something going before the half, but after a couple of runs went nowhere, Sula called a pair of timeouts to try to get the ball back for Miami. Don Sula, their head coach, of course. So on third down, Bison managed to scramble for a first down at the 24. So now Joe Gibbs, the Washington head coach, decides he's going to go for points. So now Washington goes hurry up, Feisman throws the Warren for a short game. Then he went with a long ball that got a pass interference flag at the 42. He then escaped pressure, found Charlie Brown for a first down at the Miami 16. Timeout Washington, their final timeout. 14 seconds left on the clock. What to do? Well, <laughs> anything but what the Redskins did. I mean, you have an MVP kicker. You might as well kick the field goal. But instead, uh, they decide they're going to pass. Theismann throws it to Garrett, catches it inbounds. The clock runs out. 
and Washington gets zero points out of it. 17-10 Miami at halftime. Washington went three and out to start the second half, with Beisman being sacked by Baumhauer on the second down play. Miami took over, and Franklin ran for about nine yards. Woodley picked up the first down on the third down quarterback sneak. Woodley then had two long passes go for big gains, but or no, they almost went for big gains. Neither of them got hauled in, though, because the first went to Dario Harris. He juggled it, but came down out of bounds, incomplete. Second one was for tight end Joe Rose, and it would have been a touchdown if it was on target, but it was off target, and Miami had a punt. Beisman started the next drive with a seven-yard pass to Warren. Riggins plowed up the middle for a first down at the 47. Garrett took a reverse to his left, and then he made a fantastic play, going 44 yards all the way down to the Miami 10, just on a reverse play. So now Beisman threw it to Warren, got him down to the three-yard line, and on third and goal, though, he threw for Garrett, incomplete. So Mosley came on, tried a 20-yard field goal. He converted, cut the deficit to four points. The next three possessions were three and outs without much really going on. When Washington got the ball back the second time, Feisman threw an interception to linebacker A.J. Dewey, who had been the hero of the AFC championship game with three picks. But then Woodley returned the favor. He threw an interception as well, trying to trying to get it to Cephalo, but intercepted by Mark Murphy at the five. Riggins ran for nine yards, and then he picked up the first down on the next play. Then came one of the biggest plays that not as many people remember, but there actually are a lot of people who seem to remember this. Bison throws a pass. It gets batted high into the air and is falling right down into Bo Camber's arms at the goal line. So if he catches it, it's a pick six. It's a touchdown. But Theisman gets his arms in, knocks the ball away from Bo Camper, turning a pick six into an incomplete pass. At the end of the quarter, the Redskins trailed 17-13, but it would have been 24-13 if not for Theismann's heroic play. Theismann did end up throwing interception later in that drive, though. No one remembers that. But it, it worked out like a sore punt because Lau Blackwood hauled it in at the Miami 1. So that meant whenever the Dolphins' offense malfunctioned once again, the Redskins got the ball with good field position. Riggins ran it twice, getting over 100 yards for the day. And then Harmon took a third down carry to get within a yard of the first down. Fourth and one. The most famous fourth and one play in Super Bowl history. Don Sula called timeout to talk it over for the Dolphins, but it did no good because Gibbs defeated Sula in the Battle of Wits and Riggins defeated Don McNeil in a different type of battle. So basically, Gibbs has tight end Clint Didier go out in motion, and McNeil ends up slipping as he's trying to follow Didier. 
By the time he gets back into position, Riggins takes the handoff and just runs right over him. He can't pull him down. He's pulled by his jersey. He can't do it. Riggins goes 43 yards into the end zone. Touchdown, Washington Redskins. The Skins took a 20-17 lead. The Dolphins went three and out, and little did they know they'd never get another chance because the Redskins would just run the ball and run off time. So using some punishing blows from Riggins, the Redskins slowly moved down the field. Riggins broke the Super Bowl record for most yards in a game, and then Harmon picked up a first down with five minutes to go, Couple more runs. Fison completes a third down pass to Charlie Brown inside the 10. Now there's only three minutes left. Riggins then, this is something we'll never know, but he looked like he fumbled the ball at the six yard line and the Dolphins recovered. So uh, Dick Emberg and Merlin Olsen both thought it had been a fumble. Three plays were inconclusive, but the whistle had blown, so the ball was dead. We'll never know if Miami could have gotten that ball and would they have had a chance, but it goes to the two-minute warning. Feisman rolls to his right, throws to Charlie Brown. Touchdown, Washington Redskins. The skins went up by 10, and it was over. Now, Sula inserted backup quarterback Don Strzok he completed only one pass out of his four attempts, and the Redskins came away with their first Super Bowl victory, 27-17. to Riggins was named MVP for his record-breaking 166 rushing yards, including his 43-yard touchdown run on another record, 38 carries. There's no doubt he was MVP of this game. It's hard to even think of who would be the second best player of the day. But if I was to pick one, I'd go with Theismann, who had a pretty good day himself despite his two interceptions. He still had a solid performance, and if he didn't knock down that one pass, it was curtains for Washington. And again, Riggins was the reason the Skins won, and he deserved MVP fully. Who was the MVP of the losing team? Well, that has to be Fulton Walker. He returned a kickoff 98 yards for a score. That was the longest scoring play in Super Bowl history at the time. And he ended up with 190 kickoff return yards, going for 47.5 yards per return. And his 98-yard touchdown return would remain the longest in Super Bowl history for 14 years until Desmond Howard broke it in Super Bowl 31. The least valuable player has to be Woodley. He had a dreadful performance, completing just four of his 14 pass attempts. Yes, he had 97 yards, but 76 of those came on one play. Take out that play, and he went 3 for 13 for 21 yards and intercepts. That's about as bad as it gets, although... Uh, Tony Eason would have something to say about that. Um, Strzok may not have done any better against this ferocious Washington defense, but Woodley failed his team in this game. Uh, it's a unfortunate situation, and the Dolphins would have to get 
another quarterback. Now, the biggest play of this game was obviously Riggins' 43-yard touchdown run on fourth and one. That's the one you see in the Super Bowl highlights. If he doesn't make that first down, it's possible the Dolphins could have managed to hold the lead. I don't think they would have. I think Feisman was moving the ball well enough that the Redskins would have gotten another try later in the game. But Riggins run won it for the Skins, who weren't giving up anything to Miami's impotent offense. Now, what was the biggest play that no one remembers? Well, I would say Feisman knocking down that pick six for Bo Camper that would have put the game on ice for Miami. But a lot of people do remember that play. <laughs> so I have to go with Feisman's third down touchdown pass to Charlie Brown inside the two-minute warning of the fourth quarter. If the Skins don't convert there, Mosley kicks a field goal. Redskins go up six. Now, it's true. Miami didn't do anything in the second half. But they would have had some hope. And not only that, the Redskins would have had to kick off the Fulton Walker. Could Walker have taken one back to midfield and set up a game-winning touchdown drive by Strzok? We'll never know because Feisman found Brown to ice the Redskins' victory. The best player in this game that no one remembers, well, that would be Redskins running back Clarence Harmon. Yes, he had only 40 yards, but he actually had a better yards per carry average than Riggins. He picked up a couple first downs in key situations that kept Washington drives going. It's hard to think of a player that no one remembers out of these two teams, but Harmon is the closest one to it. Okay, so it's time for homework tonight, and this one's an easy one again. I mean, there, there's really no other book to choose. Hail to the Redskins! Hail to the Redskins by Adam Lazarus is my pick. If you never read Lazarus, you really need to as soon as you can. He has three books I'm recommending for homework during this podcast. This one, two more in the upcoming weeks. <laughs> he is a fantastic writer. I wish I was as good as him. Um, his book goes through all three of the Redskins Super Bowl victories. So you can pull it out again for Super Bowls 22 and 26. Now, the Redskins finished this season with just one loss, being one of only three NFL teams to accomplish that feat while winning the Super Bowl. The others are the 1984 San Francisco 49ers and the 1985 Chicago Bears. So that's the answer to the pop quiz question. Three teams. All other 15 winning teams have come up short. And the one 16-win team also came up short in the big game. Now you got to play 17 and go 16-1 and for a chance at going 19-1 and to join this list. Obviously, the Redskins played fewer games than the Niners and Bears, but they do get to go down in history as one of the only three teams to win a Super Bowl in a one-loss season. In two weeks... The Redskins will try to repeat as Super Bowl champions. The only thing standing in their way of becoming a dynasty is the Los Angeles Raiders, a team who finished with only one loss in 1982, like the Redskins, but lost in the playoffs the second round to the Jets. 
Can LA rebound from that early exit and bring the City of Angels its first Super Bowl championship? Or can the Redskins repeat and usurp Ronald Reagan as the biggest dynasty in Washington? It all comes to a head in Super Bowl 18. If you want to read about it early, find my Great 80s book at TommyAPhillips.com or Great80s.com. Until then, so long. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians. You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.